You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I created this podcast along with everything I do at yourparentingmentor.com to support and inspire you to be the best parent you can be. I know for a fact and from experience that parenting was never meant to be done alone. From conception to preschool, my mission is to give you the tools, strategies, and knowledge to embrace and elevate your parenting experience. I'm dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and guiding you to nurture your child's immense potential with as much joy and ease as humanly possible. Make sure to take time to check out all of the resources I have gathered for you in the show notes, as well as on my website, yourparentingmentor.com. And be sure to get on my email list so you do not miss a single episode and other products and events I curate specifically for you. And please do not hesitate to reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback. A warm welcome to you and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have the pleasure of having a returning guest, Hunter Clarkfield. Hunter uh, came onto the podcast basically when I think I first started the podcast back in 2019 uh, with her book, Raising Good Humans. And today I have uh, the honor to having her back so she can tell us about her new endeavors and such. So Hunter, thank you for being on the podcast and welcome back. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate it. Yes, it's great to have you. So I don't know if you remember this, but I like to have my guests define what the art of parenting means to them. Mm, that's a that's a tricky question. I think it is definitely an art more more of an art than a science. You know, it it's an art in that you have to. I mean, actually, I was an artist in a former life, a painter. And, and as an artist, you have to, you have to know yourself, right? You have to know it's the process of making art is a process of knowing yourself. And if we're talking about the art of parenting, it's a, I think that really comes into play this idea of knowing and understanding yourself through, you know, what's happening and then iterating on, you know, what's working and and seeing clearly what's not working without making it too much, you know, getting too bogged down in it and kind of keeping moving forward with what's, you know, the the changes and the shifts and the and the seeing what's new each time. I think that all really really applies to parenting. Beautiful. And the, the artwork that you're creating, right? Yes, yes. Yes. And and I wouldn't say in another life formally, I think you're still an <laughs> artist, right? You're still, you still have it in you. And yeah, yeah, it'll be something I go back to the visual art. I think my creativity has moved into my writing and my work right now. Right, right. So oh, before we get too involved in our conversation, I'd love if you would share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm Hunter Clark Fields, host of Mindful Parenting Podcast, uh, creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, now Raising Good Humans Every Day, and the Raising Good Humans Gu- Guided Journal, this whole suite of things. But it's all 
These are all things I came to because I was really struggling. I was really struggling with my temper. I was really struggling as a mom. I was really struggling with the advice I was getting on how to parent because I couldn't implement it at the time. And so I really realized that I had to go back to this mindfulness that I had been studying and reading about since I was a teenager to just because I desperately needed it and, and realized it had a lot to offer the world of parenting in that mindfulness is an incredible tool to help us become less reactive. And there's a lot of science behind that that really has to do with our biology of our nervous system. And so what I bring to this conversation is it has to do with mindfulness to become less reactive is impairing that with that skillful communication to then, you know, do all those things we need to do as parents, like create good boundaries and create loving connection and to teach and coach and empathize, et cetera. Right. And and do that that artwork that we were talking about. I, I'd love if you could maybe go a little deeper into defining what is mindfulness, because I know it's a word that is used a lot, but maybe not everybody listening understand the, the depth of it. And I would love if you could at least give your definition of it. Sure. I mean, mindfulness is always mindfulness of something, but what is what is that? So it's we are practicing to put our attention, we're intentionally putting our attention on something in the present moment, something that is anchoring us in the reality of here and now with an attitude of kindness and curiosity. So this is just very different from the way that we are in sort of everyday life and that we're often very future focused, we're often very distracted, we're often in that going, doing, being, going and doing mode. And and mindfulness is about really practicing to be in that being mode, to practice um, being right here with all of the like joy and all the discomfort and all the all that the present moment has to offer. Um, and what's beautiful about this practice of of putting our attention in the present moment is that it it kind of it's like this parental brain hack, and it's kind of like this weird thing where it's like we we don't want to right we're like we're, we want to be future focused. We want to be you know, responding to the next threat, right? Like that's kind of how we evolved is to be looking for the next threat. But it's this kind of hack where we, if we actually, we stay in the present and we keep bringing our attention back to the present, we can, we can really like access more of our whole brain. We can be more thoughtful. We can choose our responses better for our kids. You know, it's, it's something that, Neuro neurosurgeons and CEOs and active duty military use to help them calm their stress response so that they can use their whole brain. So you know, if people in such high stress places as that can can use it, like for us as parents, which is can be very very high stress, you know, we we can use it too. So so let, let's talk about that because when you were when you were describing it I kept on thinking yes but I have this screaming child who's very upset and I don't understand what it is that they want and you know I'm I'm starting to feel stressed and and I just want to to react so how do we 
go into that, you know, uh, serene being mode, as you describe when when we're being activated? That's a wonderful question. And I really love it. And and I never said anything about serenity. (laughs) (laughs) It just sounded very serene to me. I mean, really, if you think about it, the present moment is often not very serene, right? Like when the present moment, yeah, you might have like a screaming child. You might feel a lot of discomfort. You might have a feeling in your body in that moment that's like, I've got to get out of here. I've got to stop this. I've got to change this. I've got to get out of there. And that is our nervous system stress response, you know, which evolved to keep us safe from threats. Um, activating. And the thing is that our stress response sees a moment with our child like that exactly the same as it might see, you know, your proverbial saber-toothed tiger, right? Where it wants to keep you safe. So you have to fight or flee from the, you know, fight this threat or, or flee or freeze. And in those moments, mindfulness helps because, well, A, in a couple ways, The first is that if you're practicing regularly, you're developing a like a muscle of non-reactivity. You're developing the ability to sit with something that could be uncomfortable and stay there and not react to it, right? So you're you're kind of building that muscle. And then B, when you get into that moment, you are have developed this awareness muscle. You can start to say, oh, I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> I'm My child is screaming. I'm getting frustrated. I'm feeling tightness in my chest. I'm feeling like a weight in my chest and my belly. My jaw is getting tight. Ding, 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 ding. This is a moment where I have to t- pause and take care of myself if I'm going to have a, a chance of being able to choose a thoughtful response rather than just react and maybe say something unskillful that my parents might have said. So, and the cool thing, can I can I share the the science behind this because it's so Yes, please, please. Yes. So, in those moments when we're feeling stressed, fight, flight or freeze is is being set off. That the seat of fight, flight or freeze is in the amygdala, which are these two little almond-shaped clusters in the in your brain stem. And the the part of our brain that's responsible for good decision making, for creativity, for problem solving, for impulse control is our prefrontal cortex, which is behind our forehead. And when we are stressed, when we're in a moment where we feel that tightening of the muscles, et cetera, our nervous system is actually making it so it bypasses the slower prefrontal cortex so that you can react quickly, so that you don't stop and think about pulling your child out from the car, you just do it, right? And that's also the same mechanism that makes you just say some unskillful thing your parents might have said rather than stop and think about what you want to say. But so if we want to, so the thing about mindfulness that's incredible here is that the research has shown again and again and again that the nerve, the, the brain scans have shown that an eight week course of mindfulness, practice of mindfulness actually makes the gray matter in the amygdala, the fight, fight, or flee center, shrink. It gets smaller. And the actual, the connectivity between that and the rest of the brain also shrinks. And it also, 
makes the gray matter in the prefrontal cortex, which is the area, the good decision-making part of the brain, impulse control, verbal ability part of the brain, it actually makes it grow thicker in gray matter. So you're literally changing your brain so that you have a, that you're, you're, I like to think of it as you're building that non-reactivity muscle. You're building your ability to use your whole brain. Wow. So, so there is hope, right? Because it, it really sounds like it's, it's, it's something that is malleable that we can retrain. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, they used to think the brain was just sort of static after a certain part of life, but it is always growing and changing to whatever input we are giving the, the brain. So whatever we practice grows stronger. So as we practice sitting and breathing and all kinds of thoughts come up and maybe anxieties come up, all those different things, and we practice staying non-reactive, we practice calming the body, that gets stronger. And as, you know, whatever we're doing, whatever we're putting our attention on, those are the parts that are getting stronger and stronger. And so that is really hopeful, I think. It is. It is very much so. And and when you were talking about the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, I, I was reminded of uh, Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel's um, brain in the palm of the hand, that whole flip lid, uh, which to me is just so, so helpful to explain to ourselves, but to explain to our children what is happening in our brains. And, and also, um, just a reminder that, that the prefrontal cortex is something that is not fully matured until much later in life, right? And that, that we tend to expect maybe our children to have, have it, <laughs> and they don't. And, and so we need to, to be mindful of that, I think. Yeah, I was just talking to a mom today of a 16-year-old boy, and she was like, "He he's a sports kid, but he had uh, he had gotten a 69 on his uh, his physical education written test." And she was like, "How could you have done this? How could you do this?" You're just, you know, she was so frustrated with him. And this is the this is when we have to. It really helps to remember exactly what you said that there impulse control, good decision part, making part of the brain isn't fully developed, maybe not even until their late 20s. So then we can help, we can shift ourselves from, you know, knowing that blaming and shaming doesn't work, but actually, okay, that doesn't feel good. This is like a terrible grade. I bet you feel disappointed. What can I do to help you create some study habits. How can I support your studying? What? How can we improve this for next time, right? To shift into the mode of like, I'm on your team and I'm going to help you rather than I'm just just projecting that blame and disappointment. Right. And, and, and it's interesting that you give this example because for me, it's also the parent projecting their disappointment. Maybe the, maybe the son was okay with a 69. Like I think we tend to project our own expectation on our children? Oh, sure. Of course we do. And some of that makes sense. It's how we transmit like a family culture and things like that. And so, so it's to some extent, I think that can be positive and to some extent it could be too much for sure. Right, right. Um, so one of the, the things that I, I would love for you to share is maybe some skills, some skill building that you, you know, you were saying that, that 
practice makes us more able to not be so reactive, maybe. But I think there's probably a, a skill set. And, and I saw somewhere that you had kind of this skills of, of clear, this this path to being clear. Could you kind of go a little bit more in, into that to, to give parents some skills that they can be working on? Sure. I mean, the CLEAR is my acronym for the Mindful Parenting Method. And it means, you know, the C is for calming our reactivity with habits that steady the heart, the mind, and the nervous system, understanding our triggers and self-compassion. The L, so that's all to calm. The L stands to for listening reflectively to create connection. The E stands for expressing yourself honestly and effectively. The A stands for attending, being present, and the R is for resolving problems based on needs. So that's kind of a bigger overview. There are a lot of skills kind of incorporated in there. Um, Do you have a particular area you'd like to focus on to find a skill for? Um, I think to to attend, like to be present, I think that that really kind of mirrors what you were talking about this whole mindfulness pra- uh, practice because you know being present even in a moment where you are being activated is like how do you yeah kind of, you know stay in that that calm and 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 even that that calm reactivity as you call it uh, to me that's fascinating sure um and i've in the beginning i said mindfulness is always mindfulness of something so it's taking that at, you know, attention to the present moment and whatever is arising there. And, and there's some object of your attention. And so when we do like a meditation practice, the object might be our breath or something like that, but we can practice mindfulness of our child, right? And that is really a, a great practice of attending. And so then what happens when we practice maybe mindfulness of our child is that the first thing that we notice is that we fail, we are trying to be present with our child and we fail. Our mind goes off to, oh, I've got to do this later. And, oh, I need to clean that stain. And I've got to, you know, for me, obviously lots of to-dos come to mind or things we might think about the past, the pre- the future, all kinds of different things. And that's normal. And that's expected because the mind thinks just like the ears hear. And our goal in being uh, attending to the present moment is not to completely eliminate our thoughts because that would mean we've had a lobotomy or we're dead. So we don't want to do that. (laughs) But we do want to be able to bring our attention to the present moment when we want to. So how do we do that? We want, we practice to say, oh, okay, I'm distracted. I'm thinking about what to do. And then I gently escort my brain and attention back to the object of my attention, which in this case is my child. And we do that 500 times, like again and again and again and again and again, because that's just how it works. And But it's actually, that's not like, uh, it's actually not a failure. It's actually, a, it's like the moment you're doing your mindfulness bicep rep, right? It's like the gym of mindfulness is when you bring your attention back to the present moment. And so, that might be a nice moment. You're just trying to attend to your child while you're playing and you notice your, oh, I hate playing Barbies. You start to notice that. You notice a story about your own childhood. You notice what you want to do later and you just keep coming back. And over time, you build 
the muscle to be more and more present. And that is, I mean, that is just an incredible gift. Um, there's, uh, there's a quote that really motivates me in this regard, which is from um, my teacher, uh, the Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. He said, when you love someone, the best thing you can offer is your presence. How can you love if you are not there? Mm. And that's true, right? We are often like so, we're like, we want to achieve, we want to get all these things done, we're doing all the logistics, we're going to, and then like in, in two months when we go on that lake vacation, then we're going to be present with our kids. But then when we get to that vacation, our brain is trained through daily repetition to not be present, to always be doing, right? So that's why we want to actually on a daily basis practice to stop and be present just just a little bit at least, right? We can talk about it in the difficult moments too, if you want. Sure. That, I think that would be very helpful. Sure. So in those difficult moments, we, you know, maybe our kid is flipping out over something, our, our teenager is upset, or maybe our two-year-old is upset because you gave them the wrong color cup. <laughs> and so, you know, you have a kid who's freaking out and that feels really uncomfortable. And so our kind of habitual response to that is to make it stop to so that we this discomfort goes away, right? Because also when we were little, when we had difficult feelings, we were either told to just not have them, stop crying, or go to your room, or give us that happy girl smile, or whatever, right? Like <laughs> thing, we were told not to have those feelings. So we don't have a big digestive feeling system for these feelings. And so mindfulness helps us to process and digest these feelings so we can be more present and actually choose a, a more skillful response to a situation like that. So in a situation when your kid is freaking out, you're starting to feel uncomfortable, you might say to your, you, you know, you might have kind of heard about this and said to yourself, oh, Hunter and Jean-Marie said, oh, I should be calm. So I'm going to be calm. I'm calm. I'm calm. <laughs> Freaking out, right? Because it doesn't work to be fake calm. Like that just doesn't work. So don't try to be fake calm. Instead, what mindfulness asks us to do is to recognize and acknowledge what's happening. And, and we and to practice accepting it. And we do that just because it's here. So whew, I'm starting to feel irritated right now. I'm starting to get frustrated. I can feel myself, my shoulders getting tight. I can feel myself getting annoyed. I can feel like I'm about to yell, right? So like if we say any of these things to ourselves or out loud, if we acknowledge those feelings, A, it helps to lower the temperature helps to lower the emotional temperature. That's been proven by research that just just naming the feelings, this is what Dan Siegel called name it to tame it, right? Just naming those takes the temperature down. But also, not only does it take the temperature down, it is like this bell of mindfulness for us to then say, oh, I am not going to have my whole brain here to be able to respond. I need to take a moment to calm my stress response, whether that's here with my kid who's freaking out or maybe taking a minute to remove myself. So when in those moments, when we have more awareness, when we can start to get out of the story in our head and into the sensations in our body and mindfulness in a lot of ways is like bodyfulness or heartfulness, right? Like we are aware of this 
thing called proprioception, which is the sense of the senses in our body, like that sense of touch in our body. And those, those give us a lot of signs about how to take care of ourselves. And that awareness can just help us in those moments to then, you know, okay, I need a break to get my brain back on board. And, and that might be what we have to do. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and as you're, you're, you're describing all of this, I'm, I'm just thinking also that you're modeling to your child what it is to be aware of our emotions, to acknowledge our emotions, and to, to have skills to be able to deal with them, right? Because you're, you're, you're modeling all of that. And, and yet, like, do you have or, or did you have when, you're, when your daughters were younger, and maybe you still do kind of mindfulness practice with them so that we can encourage that in our children? And, and I will say that for me, children are extremely mindful. They are in the present moment, right? They are, I want this now. This is what is <laughs> happening. Like, you know, I, I know a lot of parents get frustrated when they ask their children, you know, what did you do today? And they're like, nothing, because they're in the present moment. And so I think we have a lot to learn from them. But how do you keep that? Because I think, you know, as, as you said, we kind of lose that as we, as we age, as we mature, because we're, we're, we're pulled in all sorts of different directions. So, so how do you kind of nurture that in our children and maybe help them have this real awareness of, of what they're feeling? I mean, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right that as you practice these things, they are learning. You know, if you say out loud what you're, while you name those feelings, they are learning emotional intelligence. They are learning how to process their feelings. There's so much they're learning from that. So that's all amazing. You know, speaking to having my kids involved in mindfulness, I couldn't agree with you more that as little kids especially are just naturally completely in the present moment, which is awesome and, and such an inspiration. And yeah, that changes. For me and my kids, I made the classic mistake of trying to introduce mindfulness practices to them in a moment when they were distressed or upset. And that made them feel like, rightly so, that I was trying to fix them <laughs> and made them resist and resent the, the tools I was offering or I thought was offering in a good moment. And also, since I'm the mindful mama mentor, they're a little allergic to it, I would have to say. But that said, it is something that is part of our lives. So I would say if you want to share mindfulness for, with your kids, A, make it something fun and nice that you do together in a positive moment, not in a problem zone. You could then maybe after it's been part of your life, suggest it in a, in a difficult moment, but instead like make it something positive and nurturing. Maybe like before you go to bed, you practice a loving kindness meditation together or something like that. Like make it something that's positive for both of you and, and fun. So I would say introduce it like that. Learn from my mistake. Thank you for that. That That is so, so important. I love that you said that because oftentimes I think you know, we try to, like you say, fix the situation when sometimes we just need to let it happen and then go back to it when we are both calm and we can come to a place where where we find solutions or, or so forth. Yeah. And a lot of times when our kids are 
having a problem. So go back to like when we've we've calmed our fr- kid is freaking out and we've actually finally calmed down. Well, what is it that they need from us? A lot of times if they're upset about something, they don't actually need us to fix the situation. <laughs> they just need us to hear them and see them. It can be as simple as that, like just simply acknowledging that they're, you know, that they're upset, reflecting back, really, really listening and saying, oh, wow, this makes you so frustrated because your little brother did this and oh my gosh. And wow, you know, well, I'm here if you want to hug or something, right? Like that may be all they need in that moment. We don't have to fix and solve all our kids' problems. And if you know, and the, what is helpful about knowing that is that what our kids really ultimately want from us is they want to be seen and heard and they want acceptance. And and that's how we show unconditional love is like, hey, I love and accept you even if you are mad and upset, even if you are like rageful, you know, all of those things. If I can say, oh, wow, these are big feelings and you're really upset with them. But just like acknowledging and accepting those feelings, that's like a great feeling, right? Not It's, the, it's unconditional. I mean, what a gift. It is a beautiful gift. And, and when you're describing it, I, I have to say it's a beautiful gift for any relationship, right? With your partner, with your friends, with, with I mean, who, who wants to be told, oh, you know, it's nothing, don't worry, or, or here, let me fix it for you. It's no, we just want to be heard and acknowledge I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stressing out about the situation or, or whatever it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about like mindfulness for kids, sometimes we, we, approach that and want that from a mode of wanting to fix them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that if you're listening and you've been like, oh, I really want this for my kid, check yourself to see if like I'm trying to fix them. And then the best way to, I think, influence your kid to be more aware and to practice calming practices and things like that is ultimately for you to be doing it yourself. Like my kids now, I wake up every morning and I sit and meditate. They see me take three deep breaths before I drive the car, right? They see me take a minute. And and that's that modeling that says way more than hey, you do this thing while I do I don't do it over here because our kids have amazing BS meters. Right. <laughs> I like that BS meters. Yes. Have have they I mean, have you seen in your daughters kind of a evolution because you were saying how, you know, initially you maybe went about it the wrong way and they were kind of allergic to, you know, oh yes, you're you're the mindful mama mentor. But, you know, today as they are maturing and all that, do you see them like adopt some of those skills in their day-to-day life? Yeah, you know, actually my 13-year-old, we went on a family mindfulness retreat this summer with my family and my mom. And um, in this fall, my 13-year-old reported to me that she did a guided meditation on the bus on the way to school one day. And so I don't know, she hasn't said anything about it since then, but I just feel like I always know that everything is better for them if they can come to it themselves and it's not something that I'm pushing. So I, my kind of MO for this is to back off and be a role model. And then 
have these tools available for when they need them, when they want it, when they want them. Right. Right. Beautiful. I like that. Um, now, I, I'd love for you to maybe uh, share with the listeners a little bit about this new book that you've come out with, because we, we talked about, you know, a few years back, Raising Good Humans, and now you have Raising Good Humans every day. Uh, how is this different? And how can uh, families get a hold of it and, and use it? And then you also mentioned that there's a journal uh, that has come out and, and how do we use that? Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you know, Raising Good Humans did so well all around the world that we wanted to create more for people. And Raising Good Humans Every Day is this really fun format of 50 short chapters. So the chapters are like three and four pages each. So you can read a chapter and ha take maybe a week to kind of focus on those tools. And basically, you know, I've done the Mindful Parenting podcast for over 10 years now, and I've talked to so many experts. And I think what I do well is distill down this research and things that they say into something that's very digestible and give you a practice that you can really incorporate into a busy parent's life. So that's what I mean, it really covers the whole gamut of things from feelings and mindfulness and communication to like your home and your schedules and all kinds of things. So I'm, I really am love it. And I think it's, um, it's a great gift book as well. Um, and then the Raising Good Humans Guided Journal has just come out. And that was so fun too, because so it's a way to walk you through. There's all these prompts and exercises, and it really walks you through that. Some of the, a lot of the inner work of mindful parenting, of discovering, you know, where you might get triggered, you know, looking at these different areas of your life, but in a really, um, in a really welcoming kind of way. Wonderful. Well, those are going to be all extremely helpful to have a generation of mindful parents and mindful children. So thank you for, for all of this work. Um, I, and, and I do want to circle back because there, there's a, a kind of a phrase that you use several times about using kind of unskilled words that your parents might have told you. <laughs> and and, and I, just, I just needed to touch on that because I think that, you know, our, our kind of our parenting, I don't know, curriculum or whatever is, is our own childhood, right? Is what we heard, how we were treated and so forth. And to me, that is an exercise in mindfulness to just be aware of that in the first place. So uh, do you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I really like the language of skillful or unskillful, because that really shows that it's something that we can learn or it's something that we haven't learned yet or we don't know yet. So it's a little less judgmental than the other language that we could use. So, you know, instead of saying, ah, oh, I messed up, I'm a terrible parent, what's wrong with me? We can say, okay, I wasn't so skillful in that moment. That wasn't a great move. You know, it's it's a way of um, taking some blame and judgment out of our, our language. Um, yeah, because our parents, they didn't, you know, they didn't know better. They did not have all the learning we have today. So when something came out, you know, comes out of my parents' mouth, my mouth that might have sounded like my parents, I mean, I've been there and, you know, it's, it's frustrating, um, but I can say it's unskillful. Like I saw a guy at a, a garden center one day 
like a month ago and he had two toddlers in a cart. I heard him say, oh, if you hit your brother again, I'm going to smack you. And I thought, well, he's not even, this is not, this is just reactive language that his parents probably said to him, right? He's not pausing to think about what his words are saying, because if he did, he'd realize that they weren't that skillful, right? Didn't make a lot of sense to to say that. So it's it's a way of acknowledging that, yeah, at some point in the past, we you know we have been unskillful because we're human. We're going to make mistakes, and we will again. But we don't have to just t- say that we were terrible people, or our parents were were evil, terrible people if they were unskillful. Right, right. And to me, it's so true what you say, because I always say, you know, our parents did the best that they could with the tools that they had. And and today, I feel like we're in such a amazing space of, of parenting, because we have so much information about brain development, about, you know, people like you who, who help us understand all sorts of, of skills that we are, we're evolving, like, every day. And it's just so, so amazing. So I couldn't agree more. Um, it's exciting, I think. It is very yeah. exciting. Very exciting that, that you know, the, the next generations, hopefully, that we are raising will be, you know, will evolve too. And, and they will definitely say, oh, my parents, you know, were unskillful, but that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. Um, wonderful. Well, this has been this has been wonderful, Hunter. I'm I'm so glad we got to to reconnect and just to to circle back more to a a personal uh, part of you being being a mother yourself. Um, I'd love if we could go back maybe. 17 years ago when you were expecting your first one, because offline you told me you had a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. Uh, and I know all of this work came from, you know, when when they were young and you were uh, unskillful at the time and you were you learned from them. But if you were to go back when you were first expecting your first child, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? I guess I, I, you know, I, in one sense, I wouldn't change anything because I, I wouldn't have done all this work that I needed to do if I wasn't suffering so much. But on the other sense, I guess if I wanted to ease the suffering of that person, I would say, you know, to, I guess I would say to practice a little more self-compassion, to understand that this is hard uh, to understand that it's you know when you're you're being reactive and yelling, it's not actually a conscious choice you're making. You know, I never chose to like wake up in the morning and scream at Maggie at ten fifteen. You know, it wasn't like I chose that. So to just offer myself a little more grace and rest. Beautiful. Thank you. I hope that is well heard because so, so important. Thank you. Um, Any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? I mean, I guess it would be along the lines of that, like you can, you're going to mess up, but you have permission to be human. You wouldn't be a great parent for your kid if you didn't mess up sometimes because, you know, if you were perfect, you'd be, that would be an unattainable goal and your kid would feel less than in comparison. So, so cut yourself some slack, give yourself some grace, know that you can forgive yourself, you can be kind to yourself, 
and you can learn and try again and begin anew every day. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Hunter, for taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you so much, Jean-Marie. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.